Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Matt, and this is season one, episode seven, Bjork. I think you said it right that time. Bjork like jerk. That's what she said in an interview That's... back in the early nineties. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I think she might have been like subtly telling the interviewer that he's a jerk. Oh, do you think? For... <laughs> Maybe she's sick of people asking what. How do you pronounce your name? Yeah, I think she's definitely sick of people asking how do you pronounce your name. Yeah, I, yeah. I appreciated it very much. You, you never forget it now. I'll never forget it, yeah. But anyway, we've got, we've got plenty of Bjork to get into. Uh, big news, we've hit the big time uh, because we got our first Apple Music review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, just to give some back, I mean, the Sturgill Simpson episode um, just blew up. We doubled our regular, or more than doubled, our regular number of downloads for that episode. You know, we've done some big names in the past, names that have been around for decades, like Faith No More or Eurythmics, but um, Sturgill, who's not had the longest career in the world, seems to have a massive dedicated fan base online. Uh, so it's been really popular. So thank you to everyone who listens to that and enjoyed it. And we got some nice positive feedback on that. But one person wasn't very happy. (laughs) (laughs) One star review on Apple Music from Lisa WVU. She says, I learned about this podcast from a Facebook group. I should not have been surprised because they set out from the very beginning saying they're not familiar with country Western music. Holy hell, very disappointing. (laughs) Perhaps they should have interviewed Sturgill himself or someone with half a brain. Wow. Yeah, so I don't know that last comment. Is she attacking us or is she attacking Shane, the superfan? I don't know, but Shane got five out of five. Didn't he got he? five out of five, yeah. So what, what does she expect? I mean, also, we couldn't interview Sturgill because he hasn't got a voice. That, that's no the main vocals. reason we didn't interview him, isn't it? Yeah, we, we did ask him and he said, no, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lisa. Uh, I'm really not sure what on the podcast has upset her, but we hit a nerve and she's well, not very happy. The, th- the thing is, we're not experts on everything. You know, this isn't a podcast about expertise. <laughs> this is just about two guys talking about what we've been listening to and what we think about it. So um, it's probably not what you were looking for. <laughs> if you were looking for some, um, you know, card-carrying uh, country aficionados. <laughs> card-carrying? Yeah. Have you kept that in your in your vocab since the last episode? Yeah, I use card carrying in every kind of um, every opportunity. description description of everything. Brilliant. Well, yeah, sorry, sorry Lisa. Um, a few other people had commented that they enjoyed the episode, and yeah, certainly the numbers um, speak for themselves. It seems to have been really popular, so I'm really happy about that. It was a good, yeah. fun episode. Yeah, um, thank you, yeah. Someone has said that the, um, also that the point I made about the, um, the beer can for the uh, Cutting Grass album influence... They said that the beer can probably came after the album because it's basically John Deere colors and fonts, right. that sort of thing, uh, which makes sense. I mean, that they've—I thought they—they've got to be connected somehow. The album cover and the beer can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that makes sense. yeah, thanks I mean, for clearing that up. <laughs> the colors make sense. I mean, yeah, it's John Deere colors, but um, yeah, it was obviously one of them was linked to the other in one way or another. Thanks for that. Or feel free to get in touch with us and correct us on any mistakes we've made because I'm sure we make yes. lots of mistakes. Yes. What have you been? Um, what have you been filling your time with in the last couple of weeks? Besides listening to Björk, listening to Björk, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, Björk has, honestly has taken up so much of my listening um, because I find her absolutely fascinating. <laughs> but I've also been listening to a interesting band called Osric Tentacles. Oh yeah, I haven't heard that uh, in a few years. Have you heard of them? 
Yeah, yeah I've definitely heard of Elswick Tentacles. I don't, I don't think I've ever... When I was... Oh, my long time ago. They've been around a long time. They have. Um, but I don't think I've ever really listened to them too much unless people, friends had had it on when I was around. Yeah, they're, they're an instrumental prog band from the UK. Yeah, so I was I was at a friend's house and we play we play board games quite regularly, and he puts on weird wacky music, and um, I just assumed that it was some kind of electronica, some guy on you know on a synthesizer doing all these things. I was I was like, oh, this this guy is pretty cool, and he's like, yeah, it's not a guy, it's it's a group. Yeah, this is this is how they sound live. They're they're incredibly tight, very psychedelic. Also, if you want the definition of prog rock album covers then they've they've got what you want um i mean just look them up on spotify you'll see what i mean they've got like fish flying through space they've got uh, a guy walking on bubbles some weird bush baby it's you know lots lots of pictures of space and psychedelic colors oh yeah i'm seeing yeah i'm seeing there's lots lots of space space themes yeah, the bass player is amazing. I mean, they're all amazing, but, you know, obviously I listen up for the bass because I'm a bass player. And they are so incredibly tight. It's yeah. it's, it's insane. I honestly was surprised that they were a real band. Um, but they've been going around for so long, and they're, they're quite prolific. They've done a lot of stuff. Mm. I'd definitely um, check them out if I ever could see them live. I'd love to go see them. Have you seen the cover for Vitamin Enriched or Vitamin Enhanced Osric Tentacles? <laughs> I'm just looking it up now. It's it's basically mm. if you remember Fruit Loops, the the t- uh, breakfast yes. cereal. It's essentially yes. the Fruit Loops breakfast cereal, but they've just replaced oh, it with yes. tentacles. And in the bowl, yes. instead of cereal, it's just lots of tentacles. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, and uh, and also a band that someone recommended me called Blurt, B L U R T. All right, no, I haven't heard of that. I guess you could call them post punk. Okay, but I don't. I don't like using the word post in front of things because it feels a bit like a cop-out, you know, basically means like a weird punk. Yeah. Does the, <clears throat> do, do, by post-punk, do you just mean it's a bit um, a bit more creative with ex- instrumentation and less vocals? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they use samples. They've got a saxophone player. They sound a little bit like the specials in some parts, okay. like an electronic specials. Very, very interesting. You know, quite a few African sounds as well. Yeah, uh, I would call them post-punk, but yeah, <laughs> if, well, you, if you want to go that route, call them post-punk. So you're not alone. Um, okay. They, uh, they, yeah, they have a member called Steve Eagle, which I think is a good enough reason to um, to listen to them. Steve Eagle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Current members are Ted Milton, Steve Eagle, and Dave Aylward. Uh, uh, Steve Eagle plays guitar <laughs> since '94. Yeah, and uh, yeah. original. Um, Original member Ted Milton, poet, saxophonist, and puppeteer. <laughs> That's what I look for at a front man. Yeah, <laughs> just playing saxophone while while doing a little marionette on the side. Brilliant. Yeah. What What have you been listening to? Oh man, I've been listening to so much lately. I really have just been, you know, you know, some weeks you you go through periods of you know a couple of weeks or even a month where you're just not that creative and you tend to listen to the same things. For me, it tends to be like when I when I can't think of what to listen to, I just default to to you know a, couple, a handful of bands and listen to those same albums over and over again, yeah. or whatever we're doing on the podcast. But these last couple of weeks, I've just been just been absorbing loads of music, been loving it. So I really got into. I mean, listeners know I got into it a little bit uh, a few weeks back, but I've got into Billie Eilish's um, most recent album, Happier Than Ever. 
Oh, really okay. good. Really good. What one thing is like I've got young children and you always worry about <laughs> it's not it's not the biggest worry about having young children, but it's definitely a worry that music these days it's just not that good, is it? And like you, you hear no. you hear what kids are listening to and you think, Oh my god, like listen to some, listen to some greats, listen to some classics and Yeah. It's just it's just crap a lot of the charts. Well, Billie Eilish being really one of the biggest names in, in music at the moment. Um, if she's the if she's the top of the charts at the minute, and that is the biggest name in music, and that's what my kids are going to be listening to, I'm pretty happy with that. Like she's she's cool, she's creative, and she's doing her own thing, and she's she's got a very unique sound. She's not it's not just sort of monotonic like mindless crap that, that a lot of the a lot of the charts is. So. I'm pretty happy with that. Anyway, her, her newest album, Happier Than Ever, is really good. Um, I think her brother, Phineas, who uh, produces the album, he's the real star of the album. Mm. Um, you know, Billie Eilish has got a really delicate voice, quite understated, and it needs good production behind it to elevate that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just comes in at just the right places. Just when you think it's getting a bit too sleepy, he'll really pick it up. He really compliments her voice and keeps you keeps you guessing, and I just think he's really good. I think he's got a, a solo album coming out in in a couple of weeks, so I'm quite keen to to hear that and see what that sounds like. Um, so we're listening to that, and then if, about a week ago, I saw this interview with Grimes mm. talking about all her albums and the recording process, etc. And I thought, oh, that's another artist who I just I couldn't even tell you what genre of music she makes. So I thought I'd better check her out. So I've been listening to a couple of her albums. Yeah. Have you listened to well, Grimes I, before? I would say, like, I mean, I guess it's good to get to know Grimes because she's probably going to be the Empress of Mars very soon. Well, I don't know about that. Haven't they split? Have they? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think about two weeks ago they announced that they are separated. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I just don't don't even know what genre of music she does. I, I'm going to check her out. I've listened to her albums, Halifaxa and Miss Anthropocene. Miss Anthropocene is uh, her most recent album. I think that was 2020. Um, it has it's more interesting than the others it has a variety of sounds to it it's kind of dark electronic industrial music for the most part um but i i find it a little bit basic on some of the beats it's not super creative it's not got many layers to it it lacks a bit of depth it sounds almost a little bit amateur but the critics don't agree with me so it's like i'm always yeah i'm always swayed a bit by that when i see that an album has been really critically acclaimed uh, I think why am I not hearing it the way they're hearing it? So I might persevere with her music a little bit and see, see if I get anything from it. But at the minute, it's not it's not working for me massively. Mm. I think I think a lot of critics though they judge music based on the first listen. Mm. Yeah, because they because they got so much to get through. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But then I think on the first listen, her music doesn't sound fantastic. I think maybe you do need to persevere with it. It's atmospheric music, so I think you need to be in the moment or you need to be wanting that sound mm. yeah but anyway uh, and then what else have I been listening to uh, Matchbox 20 I've been listening to some Matchbox 20 again oh, it's all it's all very poppy this week isn't it <laughs> Santana's what's happened got to an you album. I know Santana's got an album coming out in a couple of weeks or maybe it's out already I don't know called Blessings and Miracles and he's done another track with Rob Thomas called Move um, <laughs> Move what so he's just copy is yeah, it smooth. <laughs> smooth and move <laughs> Yeah, I listened to Move and it didn't stick with me. I couldn't tell you how it goes now. It's, it didn't. Yeah, it wasn't amazing. It's twenty-two years since they released Smooth. Twenty-two years, Matt. I honestly think it's 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 one of my least favorite songs ever. Really? <laughs> yeah, I love I love Santana. He's he's awesome. I love his uh, Braxis album and you know all the old stuff. But um, I think maybe because it was just so overplayed. 
Oh, massively, massively. It's overrated. like yeah. just, you just get sick of it. Like it's just so, so you know, just so manufactured. What about Matchbox Twenty though? How do you feel about Matchbox Twenty? I've never actually listened to them really. I don't like. I mean, I've heard a few clips, and mm. I don't really like Rob Thomas's voice. Well, that's it then. You know, that, I mean, that's that's Matchbox Twenty, in my opinion. It's his voice. He's he's one of those artists that I, I really like the sound of his voice. And you know, in the last episode, I was saying about Chris Stapleton. I love his voice so much; it doesn't really matter what he sings. And I think Rob Thomas is kind of the same with me. I do really like his voice. So if you don't like his voice, you're not going to like Matchbox Twenty. Oh, okay. Um, but <laughs> but the thing is also. Um, Again, like Chris Stapleton in the last episode, I mentioned how, you know, he's such a superstar in the US. And so people in the US are going to have a, a an opinion of him based at least partly on the media. Um, and if you also if you're hearing his music constantly in every shop you go into and, you know, on the radio constantly, you're going to be affected by that. And I think Matchbox 20 were kind of the same in the early 2000s in, in the US. They were very, very big. After their second album, Mad Season, I think they they really, yeah, they hit the big time. So they were all over the radio, and most people in the US were could could name you know, five or six Matchbox Twenty singles. In the UK, it wasn't mm. like that. They didn't they didn't make it as much here. So it means that when I discovered Matchbox Twenty, I discovered them with very a very open mind. I didn't have any I didn't have anything to go off. I mean, yourself or someone like you, which was their their debut album. In the US, it sold 12 million copies. In in the UK, it sold 100,000. Wow. So it's vastly different. But yeah, I really like Matchbox 20. So I've been going back and listening to those first two albums. Those are my favourite. Yourself or Someone Like You and Mad Season. I think there's not a bad song on either of those albums, but you've got to love Rob Thomas's voice. Hmm. Maybe I need to give him a try again. Also, you've got to admit, Matchbox 20 is a pretty terrible name for a band. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess so. You don't forget it, though, do you? Well, true, you don't. <laughs> what does it mean? I think I mean I, I read this years ago, so I'm gonna forget it. But I think they read it on a they read it off a sign or a football shirt or something. Yeah, I don't mean to to keep hating on one of your favorite bands. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't say Take they're one back. of my favorite bands, but I do really like those first couple of albums. I was reading about Bare Naked Ladies yesterday, and they they came up with their band name because they had a gig booked before they had a name, and so one of them just blurted it, and they it ended up sticking. That's a good name for a band. Yeah, it's a good name. it's a good name for them. They sound like bare naked ladies. All right, shall we? Um, shall we get started? I'm a bit nervous because talking to Björk fans online, they're very yeah. different to Sturgill fans. Oh, they are. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously Sturgill fans are serious about his music, but like, you know, I I really do not want to disrespect them or Björk at all. You know, I feel like they couldn't care less be... about your opinion. They just, <laughs> isn't it? They just. Yeah, but I'd be I'd be treading on sacred ground <laughs> if I said anything bad about Björk. Not that I would. Well, let's <laughs> um, find out. But I, but I want to get things right <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, yeah. let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> so Björk was born in 1965 in Reykjavik, Iceland. Björk grew up in a very musical household and released her first album at the age of 11. This included covers of pop songs translated into Icelandic and also some originals. For the following decade, she then sung in a number of punk bands, but most notably Kukul. And some of the members of Kukul uh, went on with Björk to form the Sugar Cubes. She released three studio albums with the Sugar Cubes, and then in 1992 they decided to disband, and Björk embarked on a solo career. Her debut solo album, which came out in 1993, 
and its follow-up post in 1995 made a powerful impression, particularly in the UK. And by her third solo album, Bjork was beginning to take control and experiment further with her voice, sounds and instrumentation. She's become known for her unique style, individuality and interest in new sounds. She's dabbled with genres as broad as trip-hop, techno, house and even entirely a cappella. She's now released nine studio albums as a solo artist uh, and is still actively touring. So what do you know about Bjork? What, what now? What do I know about? <laughs> what did you know before? about Bjork? <laughs> um, before I knew, I knew that she was from Reykjavik and I had debut and post in my car and I listened to it to the, both of them uh, many, many times and briefly listened to her other stuff. But I, at first I thought, oh, this is a bit too weird for me, so I'm just not going to try, which is a shame because, cause, yeah, I, I love all her albums now. I honestly didn't know anything about her before. I, I I found her very intriguing as a person. She was clearly very creative and very individual. I also saw a, a little sketch of her on Spitting Image. Uh, right. <laughs> like it's like a like a UK satire show. When did you first uh, discover debut and post? Um, probably five years ago. Oh, okay. I thought I'd give her. I thought I'd just give her a go. I bought them just just on a whim. Yeah. What about yourself? I, I knew very little about Bjork, to be honest. Um, she's kind of like, uh, I mean, she's so, so uh, such a well-known character. And so I knew who she was, but I, I really had an image of her based on the very public appearances that she's made. So punching a reporter in Bangkok, the mm. the swan dress, It's Oh So Quiet. I mean, It's Oh So Quiet made a big impression here in the UK. Yeah. It was it was a really big tune. Um and not just in the charts, just like for years to come, I think. And that's a lot of people who don't know Bjork's music here in England know her for that song, that for that one song. Oh, it's by far her most famous song. Yeah. yeah. It's so it's very unique because there's I don't think she's done any other songs quite like it. No, I'd agree. Yeah, I it's, it's it, definitely... it feels like a different artist yeah. in a way. Obviously, it's her voice, her vocal techniques, but the the arrangements it's and the vibe, it's... It's not really her, I don't think. Well, I don't know. What do you think? I agree. Yeah, it's not her. It's not her style. Whatever her style is, but yeah, she has. I know she she moves around a lot. She experiments a lot, but she does have a style, and that's not really it. It's uh, it's very radio friendly and very mm. orchestrated and yeah. calculated. And so yeah, so that, I mean that was my that was how I I knew Bjork really before this. I didn't. Um, Hadn't listened to to her music myself, and yeah, it's been been a journey. Yeah, it has definitely been a journey. Okay, you ready? I think you might have offended a lot of Bjork fans saying that it's not calculated because oh, I right. think everything is calculated in her head. I think everything is calculated. I think all of her music is is very well calculated. What I meant was, I think that it's also quiet is calculated in a different way. It's kind of, I think it's been approached as a uh, formulaically at uh, we need we need a radio hit, and I think to a certain extent there's a lot of tracks on Post there, or probably in the in the creation of Post they've probably thought we we want to approach this to try and get some some radio play, and it's also mm. quiet has definitely been approached in that way. Uh, yeah. And so it does lack that soul, that heart that a lot of other Bjork music has. Is that a better way of describing it? I think so. All right. Phew. <laughs> Saved myself a barrage of tweets. 
All right, so I'm gonna ask five questions to help you discover a bit more about Bjork. We're then gonna be asking those five questions to Paul from Toronto, self-proclaimed super fan. We'll meet him a little bit later and see how he did. You're gonna get one point per correct answer. So five points, Matthew, and you'll be a Bjork super fan. Hooray. You feeling, you feeling confident? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot about her, but it, you know, she she is so obscure uh, mm. in a lot of ways and and there's so much you can learn about her. So question one, who co-produced Volta alongside Bjork and Mark Bell? Was this Timberland? It was Timberland, solid start. I asked you if was it Timberland, but I knew it was Timberland, but I mean, was that your, the answer you were looking for? It was the answer. You could also have got a point if you'd said Danger or if you'd have said Timberland and Danger. Okay. Oh, I'm really sorry to all the Danger fans out there, but I don't really know who Danger is. Uh, and I get the impression that perhaps it's someone that Timberland works with a lot. And so if you book Timberland, you get Danger. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he co-produced the tracks um, Earth Intruders, Innocence and Hope. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion on on the whole Timberland input though. I don't know much about Timberland. What do you what do you know about Timberland? Except that he makes good um, boots and jackets. <laughs> yeah, in his spare time, his boots and jackets <laughs> in his spare time. Um, what do I know about Timberland? I know that he's uh, he's done some rapping in the past, but actually he's more well known as a hip hop producer. He he made uh, he made a name for himself as a pro- I mean. Okay, he'd been producing for a long time, but he, he really made a name for himself as a producer around about the same period that this happened, um, which I guess was early noughties. So he, around that time, he'd been uh, producing a bunch of stuff with Justin Timberlake, Nelly Furtado. Uh, and so people had recognised that now Timberland, you know, he's not just a rapper, he's a, he's a great producer as well. Mm-hmm. So with with Volta, I think there's a, a bit of, I don't know, within, within fan groups, there's a bit of discussion about this and it's a, quite a divisive album, I think because her sound changed quite a a bit with Volta. Um, It it took a new direction. And also the input from Timberland is, there's a lot of discussion on it because it was definitely focused a lot, uh, the focus of a lot of interviews. And and I've certainly seen a lot of interviews where the interviewer wants to talk about, oh, and you brought Timberland in on this album. And really he didn't have a massive input on it. I mean, he was, he co-produced three tracks and I don't know how much, input he had on those three tracks he talked about he he had said in an interview that he'd done seven tracks with her so he'd obviously done seven and then they dropped a whole bunch hmm. and uh, he also said in an interview that it was definitely hip-hop <laughs> well <laughs> volta is not hip-hop so I, I guess what he recorded with her is not how the final product sounded so it's a bit of a shame that people honed in so so much on the fact that timberland was on the album and not that Bjork and and Mark Bell, you know, someone who'd worked with her for for many many years, wasn't um, wasn't credited a bit more. Yeah, he's he's produced most of her albums, hasn't he? Or been involved in most yeah. of them. Yeah, he's been involved with her since the very beginning. I don't think he was credited um, as producing debut and post, but uh, they were certainly had a had a friendship at that time. And she's, I mean, she she's mentioned Bjork has said that that Mark Bell is. She said Mark Bell is one of her biggest influences alongside Kraftwerk and Brian Eno. Mm, interesting. What a massive compliment. Yeah. Wow. What do you think of Volta? You got, I think you, you said you were quite fond of it. Uh, yeah, I quite like Volta. I mean, I've got no... Uh, I'm listening to an album, and if I, if I like the sound of it, I like the sound of it. So it's not... I'm not going to be upset if, if an artist has taken a different direction. You've got to see it as a standalone piece of work. And I think if there were no other albums by Bjork and there was just Volta, I think mm. that people would maybe see it a bit differently. I think there's some fun stuff on there. 
Innocence was one of the tracks that uh, that Timberland was involved in. I quite I, I like the sound of that tune, and actually, I mean, I don't know how much input he had on it, but I can kind of hear that you know the the beat from that is no, it's more in that in Timberland's yeah. direction than Bjork's previous direction. The track Hope is a real break from the norm on that album. Really beautiful Spanish guitar on there, mm. um, and a tribal beat again, similar to Titans as well. Quite a tribal beat that glues the whole song together. Um, and as the song crescendos on that one, the guitars kind of layer up and then fade before this big Hollywood finish that you're expecting. Yeah. And then this weird bass comes in that reminds you you're listening to Bjork. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I do like Volta. There's there's quite a few different tracks on there that that, that are fun. Yeah, I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I like it. It's it does sound very different to a lot of our albums. It's it's very uh, it's very heavy and very aggressive and yeah. I mean, because because. Before and after that, there was a lot more um, intricate, like orchestral parts, and you know. Whereas this is, it feels a lot more. Well, it, it just sounds very different. Like um, there is a bit of a hip hop influence there, definitely. Definitely, yeah, you can hear that. You know, and sh- you know, Earth Intruders. It's a big statement on you know the environment. I think making a difference on the planet and declare independence as well. That's a really political song. It's a strange one, Declare Independence, isn't it? It's not so much a song as it is like a call to arms. <laughs> and it's amazing yeah. that it was released as a single. I mean, I don't. it's not, for me, that's not the kind of song that's going to do well as a single. In Italy, that reached number 19 in the charts. Interesting. Um, you, you know what the lyrics are dedicated to? Well, does she not rededicate it to something every few years, whenever there's a new cause? Well, well originally it was for the Faroe Islands and Greenland, which are constitu- constituent nations of Denmark. Um, because mm-hmm. Iceland used to be, but also when she goes to various countries touring, she she sings it, uh, dedicating to particular causes, and that's yeah. caused a bit of controversy. Like in Shanghai, she was shouting Tibet, Tibet, raise your flag. So a lot of people were yeah. very uncomfortable with that, and um, also about support for Kosovo's independence from Serbia. Yeah. Uh, so a Serbian festival cancelled her because they were afraid that they couldn't guarantee her safety or the safety of her fans, rather. Yeah. Um, because of that statement, I think. So yeah, it's it's very politically driven. Quite an angry uh, uh, video as well. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen the video. She's she's basically shouting at a group of guys who are like a like on a treadmill, and you know she's she's got a you know one of those big loudspeakers. Yeah. She's shouting at them, telling them to do things. Which is ironic, I guess, because she's shouting "Declare Independence" to a bunch of people, and they're doing everything that they're told by her. <laughs> so they're not independent. She looks all that through. That was deliberate. I'm sure there must be something deliberate there. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. It's a Michelle Gondry video. So oh, it's, there you go. Then it's wacky. <laughs> uh, other producers she's worked with. So the last two albums, Utopia and Volnikura, uh-huh. she worked with uh, Venezuelan experimental dj musician producer arca mm-hmm. i think most people who are into bjork would probably be familiar with arca's solo stuff because she's um i mean she doesn't sound like bjork at all but she's in that same ballpark i think with you know, deep experimentation kind of far out I'm not very good at explaining that genre but it's interesting stuff yeah arca's in uh, some of the videos i think oh really definitely in definitely in one of the videos of uh of utopia oh because music is quite a lot darker than anything conceived by bjork generally but um mm. not not in the way that she's worked with with bjork um yeah yeah kind of unpredictable compositions vocal effects indistinguishable sounds and things 
yeah, I like it. It's a good, it's a good collaboration. That one, it's complimentary. Yeah, um, but we should we should say that I mean Bjork is is heavily involved in production as well. It's definitely these, these people are there to to, to complement her, not to take over the the production efforts, and she sits on in the background. Yeah, absolutely. In the early days, she worked with uh, Tricky and. Did Goldie work with her on that first album, or was he just dating her? I think he did get involved with the music somehow. Which doesn't surprise me listening to the album. I mean, it's it's got that from the early 90s British club sound. Yeah, that, that was the big influence for that album anyway, wasn't it? I mean, there's there's lots of interesting people that she's worked with, but I don't know if we'd call them producers right, or just collaborators. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, look at the credits on most of her albums, I mean, it's a long list. Yeah. It's a long oh, list. yeah. Even the really stripped back albums, like Medulla or something, it's still a very long list of people involved. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. And um, lots of lots of um, people getting involved with micro beats, but I don't know if that's going to be something we'll, you'll talk on later. No. No. You're free to go crazy on that. Or with Matt Moss. Did you look at Matt Moss? I didn't look at Matt Moss. No. These guys are bonkers. They were heavily involved, in, I think, with Vespertine. So micro beats. If I can explain this. Well, um, it's like getting sounds from, you know, strange sources and creating a beat out of them. If you look on the videos in the studio, they're like hitting notes on a mouse cage. Um, but also things like a harp and a celeste, like soft, soft, sweet, percussive sounds. Uh, but Matt Moss, they are a duo who make music out of unconventional objects. Interesting. They've, if it, it, on YouTube, I found a, a performance where one of them is playing a balloon. So he licks his finger and he's rubbing a balloon, doing all these kind of weird squeaky noises. And the other guy, he's taking the noises and making weird, wacky arrangements just on the spot. Wow. And it's absolutely incredible. Someone did say that she recorded sounds of her internal organs and used them as right. part of the, the music for Vespertine. Don't know if I should be surprised or not. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, <laughs> um, Matt Moss have been involved in other albums like uh, Medulla and I think Biophilia as well. Okay. Just, you know, interesting noises. You know, Cracking Ice, that's another noise that they used. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Cool. Also, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just on the topic of weird sounds. You know, mm. we've completely digressed from Volta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just find all, all the her interesting ideas so... So incredible to, to read about. She used a instrument that was designed by Leonardo da Vinci called the viola organista. Okay. Which is like a piano that plays the strings with a bow like a viola does. So you're playing nice. the piano keys and the sound comes out as strings. Wow. So it kind of combines combines the two sections of the orchestra together. And, it's, and you can hear it on songs like Black Lake. It's very cutting, very is beautiful. It- on the yeah. subject of her kind of uh, either inventing instruments or you know picking up blueprints of other people's instruments, it was it on Biophilia where she was using a Van de Graaff generator. It wouldn't that? surprise me at all, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know how it was working, but I've seen them use it live, where there's a guy just touching this plate in different places. Um, mm. It doesn't seem to have any markings on it, and then you see the you see the electricity like flowing to it and that's what's making the sound i don't i have no idea how it works i don't claim to know how it works yeah. but it's based on a, a van de graaff generator and um, yeah there's obviously these big streaks of of lightning across the stage as he's playing it they definitely um custom built several instruments for biophilia 
like a, a Gamelest, which was a Celesta mixed with a Gamelan. So a Celesta is like, I think it's like a harpsichord sort of thing, but Gamelan mm-hmm. is uh, basically a Asian meditation bells. Mm-hmm. I'm probably uh, I'm probably being uh, horribly inaccurate there, but that's that's what I think off the top of my head. But that's, yeah. Lisa, that, Lisa the on Apple is... Music is going to be furious. Yes, I know. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I hope we hear from her again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Friend days. of the show. Yes, yes, regular. <laughs> well, you've nailed question one. Good work. <laughs> so question two. Who photographed Bjork for the cover of Debut? Oh, God. I I honestly don't know. I I, oh. I was thinking of looking up the ph- photographers and it completely slipped by me. So oh, come really? On. See, I, I think that this photo is so iconic. For, for me, yeah. as not, not a Bjork fan prior to this, this episode... That's that's a picture I would have picked out as oh this is this is the image of Bjork I have in my mind. Yeah. Um, it was photographed by Jean Baptiste Mondino, French fashion photographer. His Wikipedia is offensively small. It's tiny, and I, I don't understand why because the guy's a legend. Uh, and Matthew, we've mentioned his work before on the podcast. Uh, did he photograph for Eurythmics? Did not. He photographed for Prince. He's uh, he's not got many clothes on. Oh, he did the Love Sexy cover, right? Yeah, he did right? the Love Sexy okay. cover, yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, another friend of the show, Jean-Baptiste Mondino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was photographed by him. He's the, he's uh, he's had an amazing career. Uh, I think he's still going, I think. Could be wrong. Get in touch. Um, <laughs> other album covers. Well, I mean, the Prince one, Nana Cherry. He's he's done other album covers, but he's he's directed loads of music videos loads of music videos and he's done endless fashion publication shoots so he photographs for mm. you know vogue and, and whatnot he's he's a really big name it's just he's got a tiny wikipedia but the more you search for him online you just find so many images that you that you know that you recognize iconic images of famous people that you think oh yeah i know that and that's john baptiste yeah. mondino wow okay i really love these photos of bjork though they're, they're really stunning um, mm. the one from the cover of debut and that whole series of photos there's a there's a whole bunch of others online from that same shoot yeah um and perhaps they were within the sleeve or something i haven't seen within the sleeve of the album um but i think they capture her mm, i don't want to say the term that everyone uses and is probably quite offensive because she's not a child but that kind of childlike innocence of (laughs) um that yeah i guess more often than not it's a response to her looks her stature and her voice um she has aged suspiciously well oh yeah um, because she wasn't a child when debut was released um, no, <laughs> but she definitely looks like. Uh, I saw an interview. So it's a tangent. I saw an interview with uh, Clive Anderson. Clive Anderson. At this point, I think Post had just come out, and he he made such a big deal in the interview about her looking like a fifteen-year-old. It got weird. <laughs> he, he's he's a really strange interviewer. Like he's like, such, such an seen, odd interviewer. Yeah. Have you seen uh, his interview with the Bee Gees? <laughs> no, no. I'll like check he, it out. like he basically just offend. Like he basically just insulted the way that they sing. And then they just stormed off. They're like, you know, we're not putting up oh, with really? this. Because <laughs> he thinks he's very funny, but he's not a comedian and he's not funny. He's a nice he's... enough guy, but he's not funny. Yeah, I don't understand what his deal is. Um... Yeah, I think, I think. well, she has said that um, each of the album covers represents a different stage of her life or a different character. Mm-hmm. And the debut character is about innocence and the songs on debut, I think they were written in Iceland when she was very young. So even though, yeah, she does look young, but it is about youth as well. Yeah. 
I think that that is what they were going for. You know, a bit of innocence and it's um it's a real feel good nineties. I mean, it's a definitely an album of its time. It sounds like the early nineties. Um, oh yeah, it's so nineties. But I love debut. I, I really love yeah. it. I think it's a fantastic album. Yeah, and and lucky it was her debut as well because it's it's a great introduction to her music. I think yeah. for the newcomers. No newcomer is going to chuck on Vespertine and first time listening to it go, yep, this isn't this is an artist I'm going to listen to a lot in the future. Like it takes time, but you can put mm. debut on first time and dance around and, yeah. and enjoy it. I think a way to get into Björk is to tell someone to listen to the albums in chronological order. Yeah. Because it sort of gradually settles you into it. <laughs> you know, debut is not totally otherworldly as as say uh utopia <laughs> yeah but it's still extremely clever music extremely well written did you listen to her album as an 11 year old no i didn't listen to it no you listened to it it's yeah yeah it's on youtube um oh, really? i mean the actual album itself uh it's it's extremely rare i think there's only like five thousand copies out there somewhere it's like a real collector's item mm. Oh no, seven seven thousand copies, and it's it's so strange. Like it's, I was expecting something full of like nursery rhymes and like weird kiddie choirs, and it actually sounds like a proper seventies disco album. <laughs> oh really? Did you recognise the songs? Because there's quite a few covers on there, isn't there? Translated to not, Icelandic. Not really. I think the, the the covers are quite obscure. They're not massively famous songs. Yeah. And and also it's all in Icelandic. It's it's an interesting one, and and she does sound quite good actually. She does sing well. Well, she obviously got a taste for it. I think that that first album, when she was a child, and I don't know a great deal about it, but I think there was a lot of, a lot of hand holding from her family. I mean, her mum designed the album cover. Her stepfather yeah. helped with some of the songwriting on on a couple of the because there's a couple of original tracks on there. So, yeah. um, so it was a family effort. But beyond that, it was not a family effort. You know, after that, she she got into uh, the punk scene and was was in a mm. in a string of bands that was not with her family. So she obviously got a taste from it with that with that initial album um yeah what do you think about her other album covers post is a really cool album cover. oh interesting fact about post do you, do you know about the dress she's wearing on the post album cover or the jacket it's a jacket not a dress uh no so the jacket is made from envelope paper <laughs> and it's oh really but the th- weird thing is you cannot tell to, to look at it so i don't know the effort that went into that so it's made from envelope paper crafted by a designer hussein shalayan and the colours are supposed to represent airmail envelopes. It's a reference to the album title, Post. Post, right. Okay. So you can see like around the lapel of the jacket, it's got that blue-red stripe that you get on airmail stamps. Yeah. I mean, who's noticing? But that's so that's so typical Björk, isn't it? To go it to is. that level of detail. Definitely, definitely. I mean, her costumes are, are really cool. Oh, no, I'm just looking at it now. You can see the... the the dashes, the black and red yeah. dashes. It does yeah. look like like an envelope vibe. <laughs> What's after that? Homogenic is a weird one. That's uh, that's her in a kimono, looking very odd. And actually, I I wasn't. It's one of those album covers that I wasn't entirely sure it was a photograph when I first saw it. I thought perhaps it was uh, it was computer generated or you know altered in some way, but it is a photograph. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, by Alexander McQueen. Yeah, I think she was dressed by Alexander McQueen and then photographed by Nick Knight in that one. Right. Vespertine it's, is um, cool. It's quite different, isn't it, to her other album covers, Vespertine? Yeah, yeah, it's very dreamy. And there's the, the swan on top of her. <laughs> yeah, Medulla. Yeah, Medulla's a bit different because I don't like the way the word looks on Medulla, the way it's hanging around her neck. Some of the letters are odd to odd to make out. Yeah, it's quite hard to read. Medulla's all about 
human soul, I think. So fibula means bone marrow in Latin. Mm-hmm. And obviously the whole album is, is it's made up of voices. So it's, is that human element. So she's wearing a mask made of hair <laughs> and a uh, necklace of bones. What about you? What, what are some of your favorite album covers? Vespertine, it's, it's, it's like a fashion shoot. You know, she does a lot of work with fashion designers and photographers. And you can clearly see that. Volta's a little bit weird. It looks like she's in some kind of Tamagotchi suit. I don't quite get that, but I think people have... Yeah, the Volta album cover is really odd. A really odd choice. I've heard people say their interpretation of it, like the different colours represent parts of the earth and her feet are the colour of the sea, so she's walking on the ocean, something like that. Mm. I, I don't like it. I think it's a bit bit strange. Like, it's like she's in a Kinder Egg. Um, Volnicura is interesting. Yeah, but then when you look at the uh, the videos that accompany that album, it's you know it's very personal, very very raw emotional mm. music, and and you know she presents herself you know with these wounds opening up, and you know there's these interactive virtual reality videos where you can help sew her heart back together and things like that, and it's yeah it's quite moving when you look at it in that context. Yeah, because there's a, there's another shot from that album sleeve isn't there, where she's she's leaning back over a rock and she's got this big wound on her chest that's opened mm, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was about heartbreak, really, that album. Yeah. Uh, about breakup, and then Utopia is about finding love again. But the cover of that, she, she looks a bit like, I don't know, she looks, <laughs> looks strange, like an alien, like an, yeah. like an oyster. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's very cool, and she wears these costumes on stage. They, these are characters that represent part of her life. You know, they're very personal to her, and she. I think everything she does is very deliberate. Yeah, pretty much every cover since Medulla has been, at least in part, directed by M.M. Paris. Is, um, they're a partnership, Matthias Augustiniak and Michael Amzalag, who are a couple mm. of fashion photographers who work together in Paris. As a partnership, they're heavily involved in, in record cover artwork and um, fashion mm. photography. They're a pretty big name. Yeah. Um, just just on that jacket on post, by the way, the, the um, envelope jacket, that's now displayed in the Hard Rock Cafe in Reykjavik. I didn't know there was a Hard Rock Cafe in Reykjavik. I've been mm. there and I didn't I didn't notice it. <laughs> oh, you have to go back now. It's an interesting place. Just quickly, a couple of tracks I wanted to talk about on debut. So, um, More to Life Than This, yeah. 90s electro-pop banger. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What Do you know about the story behind that? I don't, but has it got something to do with going in the toilet of a club somewhere yeah. in Reykjavik like the milk bar no, in, London, is that in London oh in London okay. yeah so I don't, yeah I mean that's the story basically I don't know how true it is but the you know there's bits in the in that uh, album version there are parts of it where the music cuts out and she's kind of a cappella, but you can hear the music in the background and the story is that this song was recorded live at the milk bar in London against the backing track from the unreleased unreleased album and she was just being very, very Bjorkish and she was dun- jumping off the stage and running into the toilets and there's a bit at the end where she goes out into the street and so there's no music at all anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I guess they were they were recording her voice. I-, I think on the album, does it even say on the album, recorded at Milk Bar Toilets? I mean, her right. voice sounds fantastic on it, so I'm not denying, I'm not saying because it sounds fantastic, it can't have been recorded in that way, but it does sound suspiciously good. Uh, she may well have yeah. done it that way because she's got a fantastic voice. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> like she, she really needed a wee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why she did it. Um, and, and then for me, the best song on this album is Big Time Sensuality. I've just listened to that tune so much over the last mm. two weeks. 
it's just again another feel good shout it out loud song uh, it's it's a house tune really it's it's kind of funky but actually there's some there's some versions on youtube where she's sung it live really stripped back and it's it's beautiful done like that as mm. well yeah but i mean the, the the music to big time sensuality you, you wouldn't normally hear that kind of singing on top of that would you no it's no, I guess not. It's you know, a, a voice just goes to all these, all these insane ups and downs, and <laughs> you know, otherworldly noises with this house music in the background. It's 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 really <laughs> it's beautiful, actually. Yeah, and it's unexpected as well. At mm. the time, I guess it was unexpected, and that's what drew people to it. Yeah, that's a favorite of mine to put on in the car. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be played loud. Cool. Okay, question three. <laughs> Which album has an ultimate art edition that includes 10 chromed tuning forks? Oh, is this Biophilia? Yeah, it is. Yes. Yes, I saw this because I know that Biophilia is, it's more, I've heard it said that it's more of an educational project rather than an album. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. That's one way of, I've heard it because it, it covers all sorts of mediums. It's, it, there's, an, there's an app that goes with it as well. Yeah. And you can interact with all the all the songs changing the tunes and i think they did workshops with schools as well and to go along with it but i saw those tuning forks and i thought wow that's a hot ticket for any hardcore Björk fans yeah but i didn't i did look for it online so just to give some background so it came in a wooden box it came with 10 tuning forks and a booklet um not even a booklet a book i think each tuning fork was tuned to the to the key of one of the songs on the album mm. and uh, they're all stamped with the biophilia logo which they developed for the album and everything to do with biophilia has that logo on it yeah and the box was 500 quid new 500 dollars or 500 pounds maybe it was 500 pounds i wanted to know how much it costs now so i did i searched for a long time i couldn't find it anywhere online so i guess they all sold and no one's mm. selling them or i guess they were bought by big time Bjork fans and that's why they're not selling yeah. them but it'd be interesting to know how much they're worth now it's a, it's a nice idea though is it I don't know like it, I feel that she was on the money train wasn't she around biophilia and in previous releases as well I mean there is so much stuff out there like so many albums had multiple releases with slightly different versions uh, then remix releases and yeah I'm just looking it up there there was a biophilia education program consisted of workshops for school children aged 10 to 12 okay. that explored the intersection of music and science and the Reykjavik City Board of Education brought the program to all schools in the city over the following three years that sounds noble enough <laughs> more noble than selling expensive tuning forks yeah I don't want to sound all negative about it but do you, do you get what I mean you know there's Maybe the money went to charity or something. <laughs> oh, you're so on the fence, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to offend Bjork, Bjork fans. I'm very nervous. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I've, I've offended every group of fans we've ever, we've ever spoken yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, one thing I will say is, like, on, on a positive spin to that, she's, she's an artist who certainly views her albums as more than just the music. A lot yeah. of thought goes into the artwork, into the names of her albums, mm, into videos. the presentation, the music videos. So yeah, if if I if I put a positive to this this ultimate art edition, it's that she wanted to create. It's creating something beyond just the music, isn't it? And uh, yeah. Also on the on the names of of albums, there's some of the some of the interviews I've watched with her where she's talking about why an album was named something, and I can't remember specifically which album I was looking at. Maybe it was Biophilia even. 
and uh, she goes, she goes into a long spiel as to as to how she came up with the name. And I'm not sure I entirely understand what she's talking about, but I respect that she's she's put that much thought into it. I think she said Volta. She just thought it sounded cool, uh, but obviously the others are a bit more personal. Like Volnicura means cure for wounds in Latin, which is very appropriate. Yeah, that's very appropriate. And Utopia is about finding love again, so it's it's that kind of paradise vibe. You know, even in the videos as well, she's going to this to this other world where these these strange creatures and <laughs> it's it's like the um, DMT dimension. <laughs> yeah. You know, and she's she's basically in, in euphoria. It's very trippy, incredibly trippy. I'd love to watch them if under the influence of something. <laughs> um, I th- did find that in 2015, uh, when they released the Bjork Archives book, her entire back catalogue was re-released as coloured vinyls, 5,000 mm. copies, and each record was coloured to the different hue that personified the character on the album. Mm. <laughs> so I have seen that I have seen that on her website, the uh, different coloured albums, you know, there's orange and red and purple and things like that. Yeah. And are they priced at a regular regular vinyl price or i think they're just completely uh, no of course they're not <laughs> they're completely gone <laughs> that is a very silly question <laughs> I, I someone on facebook suggested what each of the characters refer to i um, to, to like, this, you talking about the characters i hadn't come across this as as viewing i hadn't thought about it really until you said it yeah well well the documentary that i i watched uh what was it finding bjork the one i yeah, told you I about see it yeah the 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 documentary goes through the first four albums and she talks about each each album cover as being a character mm. like an avatar uh so debbie ref- reflect innocence in post she's more confident as she moved to london and you know behind her there's the colors of piccadilly circus yeah but she's missing her homeland you know because of the the postal cards <laughs> you know yeah uh, in homogenic, she's representing like a warrior who's fighting for her art and her love. So she, yeah, she calls she calls the homogenic cover a warrior um, that incorporates different cultures. Vespertine, she's a bit more introvert and in love. So apparently, it was photographed in in her home swimming pool. Medulla, she's experiencing motherhood. I mean, she was a mother before, but this is another one because she was she's much older. She's more mature. So she's seeking human ancestry. Um, Volta, she's more of an explorer. She's a vibrant, enthusiastic character. Biophilia is is like Mother Nature. She wants to educate people, and and obviously, the the topic of nature is a big deal for her. That's a big uh, subject in a lot of her songs. Mm. Is preserving nature and respecting it. I mean, you've got to when you come from Iceland. I think. If you ever go, you you just you're just in awe of the surroundings everywhere. Right. It's this huge, it's this it's like this this primeval force, you know, because it's 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 a volcanic rock, you know, it came from a volcanic eruption, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's it's incredibly powerful place, you know, like the their water is uh, heated by the hot springs under the under the earth, and um, you know there's there's geysers that spout out sulfuric water and. It's a very harsh place, you know. There's waterfalls coming out of the ice. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Um, Volnikura, she's well, she's very sad. Obviously, she's heartbroken. She's got that ugly wound in her chest that you mentioned. And in Utopia, she's living in her world of music and imagination and healing. So 
that's what's going on there. And someone else has said that they're a bit like tarot cards, or she said that they like tarot cards. But I'd like to look into that a bit more. I think that's an interesting concept to have Bjork tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> cool. What? How are we doing? You got that uh, one. two out of three. Question. <laughs> I'm di- I'm digressing a lot, but um, <laughs> but there's so much you can say about her. And also, I'm really passionate about Iceland. I love it. <laughs> well, so is she. So um, there's something you yeah. got in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're hitting it off. Question four. In the music video for which song does a man crawl out of a giant mouth under the bonnet of Bjork's truck? This is Army of Me. Yep. Three out of four. Yes, good. Yes, because I know that she's got a big truck in that in that video. <laughs> yeah, she's got the biggest truck. <laughs> I mean, this is a weird... So let's talk through the video a bit for the for the listener who hasn't seen this. So Bjork is driving down the street in a massive truck, big tanker, like yeah. a monster truck. Uh, then the truck stops. I think maybe, maybe it breaks down. I'm not sure. She gets out, but she kind of flies out. <laughs> <laughs> she flies out of the truck, opens the bonnet, and under the bonnet is a big mouth. Yeah. And a smelly man comes out of the mouth and runs off. And everyone on the street is like, oh, smelly. And then she gets toothache. So then she goes to the dentist, who's a gorilla. And the yes. dentist, who's a giant gorilla, steals a diamond out of her mouth that she didn't know yeah. was there. Yeah. And then when she sees it's there, she decides to fight the gorilla and mm. steal the diamonds, at which point the diamond gets really, really big. And then she goes and bombs a museum. Yeah, but there's a guy <laughs> sleeping in the museum and she puts the bomb right next to him. Yeah, there's a guy in like cryo sleep in the museum. She puts the bomb Is she trying to wake him. him up? I don't I don't know, mate. If, you, if you've got ideas, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> I've, I've got no, I mean, I've got no ideas. I mean, I've, <laughs> I mean, what can you say about this, this video? Is, is there some deep meaning to it? Who knows? Okay, so Bjork I, I, said. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. She said, uh, Army of Me is so much about me learning that I have to defend myself. I have to stand up and fight the fucking gorilla. <laughs> Once I've got the diamond, I run away with it and it becomes massive because it's mine. If the gorilla had kept it, it would have gone really, really tiny. Right, okay. Does that make sense yeah. to you now? Yeah, it does. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, but why is she blowing up the museum? Because she's trying to, like, change artwork. No idea. You know. No idea. It, it looks like she's trying to wake up someone. I thought that was like her lover and she wanted to wake him up because he was frozen in a state of sleep. It was directed um, by Michelle Gondry. So, I mean, maybe yeah. that says something. Yeah. But all her videos are so weird. And I'm pretty sure she, everything, again, <laughs> this is like a catchphrase in this episode. Like, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah. Everything in her videos, I think, is planned. There's, there's meanings behind everything. Yeah, but the problem is that symbolism and imagery is not always immediately obvious to the viewer, Bjork. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had I had a video binge um, yeah. a couple of days ago, and it's, it's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary, some of the videos. But one of one of the songs, Isabel, um, so it's basically about a girl who grows up in the forest and the pebbles around her grow up into skyscrapers. Then she trains moths to fly into people's faces and tell them to wake up out of their mundane existence. Wow. So, yeah, that's another Michelle Gondry video. He directed uh, loads for her. Crystalline, Declare Independence, Human Behaviour, Hyper Ballad. Yeah. So they obviously they work well together. So yeah. Bjork said in an interview when she received the Polar Music Prize, she said that people understand the song quicker if they're watching and listening at the same time. Mm. So the video needs to exist as a visual representation of the music. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Yeah, and she puts a lot of effort into the video, which is nice to see. It's... Oh, I could I could tell you about so many of them. I, I made a massive list of them, and <laughs> made notes for each one. One of them, one of them, ar- arisen my senses. Uh, my note that I put there is weird as fuck. <laughs> what is that one? Arisen my senses. So this was a Utopia album, and it's like. Oh my days! It's it's like something out of Cronenberg. There's like these weird flesh blobs with tongues, and they're kind of connecting with each other, and it looks incredibly sexual. Dis- I I would say disgusting, but also beautiful at the same time. And it's like a cocoon, and she bursts out, and she's this butterfly lady. And yeah, it's quite a relief because the bit before that was just like you know. Mm. Um, but you can't you can't take your eyes off it. <laughs> Some of her videos are are a bit graphic. You know, they show like body. I wouldn't. I don't want to say body horror. That's a bit of a cliche because mm. it's not really horror. It's it's stuff going on with the body, body manipulation. Yeah. I don't know. Pagan poetry. She's naked, and there's these corset of pearls that are being sewn through her skin. Um, the song cocoon. There's these red threads that fly out of her nipples and surround her like a cocoon. Yeah, there's a, there's a video by John Crickfalusi for I Miss You, and that's the guy who was behind Ren and Stimpy. Oh, right. <laughs> so it's partly animated, and, and you can tell that it's Ren and Stimpy vibes from it. You know, it's so strange. Like There's a part where she's, she's like, singing on the moon, and her breasts are, like, these weird dancing domes, like blobs, and they've got people inside them, like... Yeah, I need to watch more of her videos, but uh, I, I like what I've seen. It's fun. Really fun, yeah. Cool. So question five, the decider for you. It's not really the decider. I mean, if you get question five right, you've got four out of five, which is, is that your first ever four out of five? Yeah, I think it is. I've only ever got three or or two, one and a half and one. That's exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. So question five, what year did Bjork wear the famous swan dress to the Academy Awards? I should have expected you to ask something like this. So I'm going to think it through. <laughs> what, a question about Bjork? <laughs> <laughs> no, about like award ceremonies. Because um, um, you love that sort of stuff. So this was for, I'm just, I'm just talking it through. Okay. So I get it, so I get it right. So this was for her music for Dancer in the Dark, I believe. Dancer in the Dark, I think was 90, I think, no, I think it was late 90s. I'm going to say 1998. Oh. Do you want a second guess? 2000. No. 2001. Boom. But your working out was correct. So if you yeah. get a point for your working, like you do at school, you know, you get, as long as you leave your working out, and if your working is correct, you still get Yeah, you know what? No, Selma's songs came out in 2000. So it would yeah. have been 2001, of course. Yeah, that she was, was there for, uh, she was nominated for Best Original Song in the soundtrack for... Yeah, I've seen it all. That's right, yep. Yeah, so the dress the dress has made reappearances everywhere. Not not the actual dress, because that's in um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It was auctioned off for charity by um, by Bjork. Don't know when, but at some point. But the but the dress as a, an image has just appeared everywhere. I would say, you know, a third of the Wikipedia page about this dress goes on about places where it's reappeared. Right, okay. People wearing the dress as parody. It's appeared in cartoons, in comics, in TV series, in movies. It's just endless, you know. um, Yeah. 
2004 comedy White Chicks, 2005 comedy My Big Fat Independent Movie, episode of Fairly Odd Parents, episode of Sunny with a Chance, episode of Mad TV, uh, a video clip for Nelly Furtado, video clip for... It's just, it goes on and on. Um, so it, it made such an impact. Yeah. So so just to clarify, people who don't know, it's it's it looks like she's got a swan wrapped around her neck. Yeah, thank you for remi- reminding me that this is a podcast, not a, <laughs> not a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. People might not know what it looks yeah, like, no, totally. a swan dress. Totally, yeah. yeah, it's it caused a bit of a stir, didn't it? The, the narrative at that point... Um, although looking back, it wasn't it wasn't so much this. I think the narrative at that point was that in those days the red carpet wasn't so much a you know nowadays you've got you've got the world and his wife wearing a meat dress or arriving arriving on the red carpet in an egg yeah. suspended from the ceiling. But in those days, people wore a black black suit and a yeah and a ball dress. It's very conservative. Mm. What it was, wasn't it? It was yeah. Although there's there's a bit of there's a bit of discussion on that now. Uh, I was reading an article in uh, from BBC, I think, from earlier this year, where they were talking about uh, Bjork's swan dress, uh, some BBC style from April this year, and they were talking about actually that's that wasn't entirely true because they they listed a whole bunch of people that had appeared at the Academy Awards in in previous years, all the way back to you know, the early nineties, wearing obscure things. But I guess it was less common, and and yeah, people people thought it was a bit weird. And the fact that oh. she she laid an egg as well. <laughs> she laid an egg. She laid an egg. Yeah, <laughs> what, I lit- seen... literally. Yeah, so she had. I think her handbag was an egg, and she <laughs> squatted on the red carpet and and imitated laying an egg. That's yeah. where that's where Icelandic babies come from. <laughs> she is a mysterious woman. Yeah. Oh man, but that's that is nuts. That's great. That's great though. What the egg? I mean, egg? well, just the whole thing. You know, just just breaking the mold. Just saying. Totally. Yeah this is me <laughs> like just deal with it yeah you know, she she has said. yeah she said uh something along the lines of i can only relax if i look on the outside how i feel on the inside mm, and that's why she she dresses in her unique way <laughs> so one one canadian fashion critic uh, at the time this was back in 2001 said this was probably one of the dumbest things i've ever seen later i saw <laughs> her in the ladies room spreading papers on the floor this girl needs to be in an asylum Spreading papers on the floor, well, like because she was gonna <laughs> gonna take a leak. I don't know. I think people just didn't get her. They just well, I don't think I know people just didn't get her. We still don't get her. But hey, I mean, she made such a hoo ha, and yeah, people haven't forgotten it even today. I said at the beginning when we were talking in the band bio that uh, one of the images I have of Bjork before this episode was that swan dress. So, mm. mm-hmm. Such an impact. Unfortunately, the swan dress uh, took over. Uh, in our minds, images of Bjork in 2001. But at the Golden Globes in 2001, she wore, wore another really interesting outfit, which I prefer. Did you see what she wore to the Golden Globes? No. So it's a long black dress with a massive sequined Michael Jackson's face on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my days, I have to look this up. Um... Yeah, you've got to look it up. She's got like a little owl handbag. It's a good one. Oh, yes, I'm seeing this. It's bizarre. Oh, it's so it? strange. It's so strange. Yeah, there's a huge... Michael Jackson, but the Michael Jackson's got like owl eyes as well. Yeah, the eyes are weird, and the cheeks as well. I think she's tried to do some shading, or the artist has tried to do some shading on the cheeks. But yeah, it's just weird. But if Why you, would you wear it? Yeah, but if you if you squint, like you would just think she's in a really pretty dress. Maybe you know with some patterns on it. But then you look closer, it's like, oh yeah, it's my got Michael Jackson on the bottom. Yeah, I mean it's a black dress. Michael Jackson's got black hair, dark eyes, a black jacket, so it kind of blends in a bit. But it's. It's odd to, to have turned up to an award ceremony with 
with Michael Jackson's face on your dress. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's but it's pretty conservative for her, really. You know, all her costumes are just you know fascinating stuff. Like she's you know the the one that she she wore for Biophilia, but also yeah. there was one that she wore for a video for the Gate. It's a costume by Gucci, and it took eight hundred hours to make. Apparently, wow. Yeah, it's Was it, it worth looks it? like Does it look worth it. It looks it looks beautiful. I didn't think it would take eight hundred hours, but I I don't know anything about fashion. We don't make dresses. It's, it's like an we? it's like an iridescent peacock flower thing. She said about mm. the uh, about the Academy Awards swan dress. She said I was very aware when I went to the awards that it would probably be my first and last time. So I thought my input should really be about fertility, and I thought I'd bring some eggs. Well, that's well, that's great. <laughs> that's that's very Bjork of her to think that. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to make us make a statement. <laughs> yeah, she got the award for best actress at the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, did she? I didn't realize that. Or yeah, for um, Dancer in the Dark, and I think she looks pretty <laughs> relatively normal when she gets the award. But she just says like, "Thank you very much," and then she just gets off the stage. Like so I've not watched Dancer in the Dark. I've watched uh, bits of it, but I've not seen the full movie. You've watched it beginning to end, haven't I've, you? I've watched most of it. It's mm. it's very hard to watch in some ways. Um, the director is Lars von Trier, who he's, his films are... I really enjoy them. Uh, they're very dark. They're all about the darkest aspect of human nature. And basically how shit life can be. <laughs> mm. He's really just, he's really depressing. But then apparently I, I, I read that there was inappropriate behavior from him. When I say inappropriate behavior, I mean, he was basically making her extremely uncomfortable, um, trying to touch her up and encourage her into his bedroom and all this stuff. And right. yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit grim. Uh, I mean, the movie is a shame as well. So the movie is so grim. I don't know if I should spoil it on here, but it doesn't end well, I should mm. say. Yeah, but the whole thing's on YouTube. Um, I don't know if that's legal or not, but it is. It's there. So check it out if you want to be extra depressed and see an amazing performance from her. You So you think it's an amazing performance from her? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And the music's good as well. Yeah, the music... I, I like the music. So I listen to Selma songs. I mean, it's very clearly uh, a soundtrack. Yeah, but but it's, it's some, there's some nice music on there. Did you listen to uh, Drawing Restraint 9? Yeah, some of it. I really couldn't get into it. I mean, it's, again, it's it's very clearly a soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and it's it's obvious with every track that there's something going on behind it. And you yeah. kind of need to see that. And I haven't watched the movie. But I thought as as music, I thought it was well made. And it was clever and, and creative. And I liked that. But don't get me wrong. I'm not listening. I'm not going to listen to it again. <laughs> so no, no. I'm not going to put I... it on in the car on a long drive or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At a party. <laughs> Everybody check this out. And did you listen to uh, Mount Wittenberg Orca? No, I didn't. So what is that? It's an EP by the band Dirty Projectors. They're an American band. And for this particular album, they had Bjork. Yeah, she sings on... Does she sing on every track? I don't don't think I've listened to the whole album. Oh, it's it's just an EP, but seven tracks. And it's quite nice. And to be honest, listening to it, if you didn't know it wasn't a Bjork album, you might think it was just a Bjork album because her voice is very dominant in it. It's... You know, her voice is the is the main act. It's so distinctive as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. And actually, I didn't. Other than this album, this Mount Wittenberg Orca, I didn't find any tracks where she'd featured, like tracks by other people that featured Bjork. Is there any out there? She works with Tricky. There's a song called Yoga. Oh, old school. Then that would have been right at the start. Then, isn't it? Yeah. Satisfaction. The 
Rolling Stones classic. She did that with PJ Harvey. Oh, really? Oh, no, she did that at the the Brit Awards. But she, yeah, she doesn't do very many, like, duets. She seems to have a lot of people appearing on her music. Mm. All right, Matt, you got three out of five. That means you care, but you don't care that much, do you? Can I I try and um, redeem myself by giving you a really weird, obscure fact? Definitely. Okay, so this links back to a band that we've done before. The video for Epic by Faith No More. Do you know how Björk relates to this video? (gasps) The fish at the end of the video, Björk claims that this is her fish. (laughs) Wow, okay. She says there was a party at Roddy Button's mansion and she was coming from a poetry reading in San Francisco and she brought this fish to the party and and so the fish was taken from her the the band don't seem to know if this is true or not but this is her story this is what she says what do you mean the bands don't seem to know it's true or not <laughs> <laughs> How can they well, not well, know that's true well i don't know maybe it was a, it was that kind of party where you just can't remember anything that could, that happened oh right you know yeah. I'm, I'm sure that they'd remember her carrying a fish around at a party yeah i guess i mean uh, lemmy claims that there are a couple of decades that he doesn't remember at all because he was so high on amphetamines that wouldn't surprise me like, do you think she had a... I'm just trying to, try to imagine her at this party with, like, a handbag full of water and a fish just jumping out of it, like, hey, everybody. A fish is not the norm, is not normally a, a pet that you take for a walk, is it? No, you can't really take a fish for a walk. Well, you can't really take it anywhere, can you? No, I mean, it's a great pet, but leave it at home. <laughs> leave it yeah. at home or it might get nicked and yeah. abused on a, on a music video. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's my, my obscure fact. And are you telling me that to try and win back a point? Just to, just to redeem myself. Okay. You, Have a bit of dignity. You're redeemed. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got three out of five, though. Yeah. That's fine. No, that's all that's right. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. But I've I've been really enjoying listening to Björk for the last couple of weeks and checking yeah. out her eccentricities. She's she's become one of my favourite female artists, full stop, mm. to be honest. Yeah, I would also say she's... Uh, I've loved the last two weeks of listening to her music. She's not an artist that I... I mean, I would have discovered her eventually, but... Uh, I wasn't listening to her, so I'm so glad that we did an episode on her. She's performing now, actually. She's got some live streams, some performances with like Icelandic string musicians. You can you can buy the tickets to stream it. Oh, uh, I, I think a lot of the money streaming stuff, but a lot of the money is going towards charities. I think that deal with domestic abuse. All right, good one. Well, you know who's who claims to be a, a mega fan of Bjork. Who's that? <laughs> That's my friend Paul in Toronto. Oh right. We had a, we had a few people. I can't remember how many, but yeah, a handful of people get in touch about Bjork. Wanted to be uh, wanted to be on the episode because they were they were mega fans. Uh, Paul got to us first, and and I spoke to him a couple of days ago. Ran through these questions. So let's have a listen and, and see how Paul did. Cool. Paul from Toronto, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. We're gathered here today because you are a Bjork mega fan. I am. So can you tell me where it all started for you and how you first discovered Bjork? The way I discovered Bjork was sort of before I even knew who she was in a, in a strange way. I was always like a really active listener to music when I was a small child. Like I always had, you know, I was like obsessed with the radio. Grew up listening to popular music on the radio, like in a sort of obsessive fashion. And, uh, you know, once, once uh, music television came around, MTV in Canada, it was much music. I obsessed over, te- you know, videos and, uh, uh, you know, that sort of visual content of music. Yeah. And I remember seeing a couple of videos that they described as like college rock. 
that sort of took me on a different path that I thought had like a unique look and I didn't totally get it. I didn't totally like it. And one of them was like, How, How Soon Is Now by The Smiths. Mm -hmm. And it was another video by this other band that sounded really strange that had a similar kind of grainy Super 8 video kind of look. And the singer had this explosive, strange way of singing. And it ended up being the live video for Birthday by The Circuit Cubes. And I saw that when I was around 10 or 11 years old. And just remember being fixated by this voice and this this look of the video and you know the way that it sounded and how this chorus just hit different than any other song I'd ever heard before. And also more just that like it was sort of a screeching, uh, very different sounding chorus with this explosive voice, but it, she hit it the same way every time. It was like intentional. It wasn't just vocalizing. And it, I was just really drawn to that and didn't really get it. But I was only 10 or 11. So when I heard her first, when I heard debut, um, the album from 1993, when I was about 16, um, I, lis I remember listening to it and having this moment where it clicked, oh, this is that girl from that video. Mm. She has a, a solo album now, and her name is Bjork, and she was singing in this band called The Screw Cubes. And so that, that journey started, well, coming up to 30 years ago. So yeah. over the last 30 years, what's been the highlight of your fan life? Well, uh, there's a couple. One, um, I met her uh, in when I was in high school. My high school girlfriend and I were sort of big, big Bjork fans. She's actually the one that lent me that tape that, mm -hmm. uh, for a debut when I first uh, realized who, who she was. And uh, we found out that she was doing an interview at uh, Much Music, again, like the Canadian version of MTV, in like deep January, <laughs> right? like heavy Canadian winter. And we lived about two hours outside of the city. So we had to take a train in. It was a whole ordeal. Um, we waited in the blizzard for about two or three hours just to have all the local city kids come, you know, 10 minutes before the interview started. <laughs> yeah. And be like, what are you guys doing out here? You know, you didn't have to do this. And be like, we don't know. We don't know how any of this works. Anyway, um, saw the interview. We're there, like, front row, you know. And uh, we're right in front of her after the interview was over. And we kind of dispersed. And I was just sort of standing there dumbstruck. Uh, and she, she's quite short. And I'm on the tall side. So she was looking up at me. And I, I think I must have had the strangest look of shock and fear and, you know, fanboydom in my face. Because she said, she actually said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just don't know what to say because I'm suddenly like, yeah. you know, struck dumb and blind. So I'm just going to leave. <laughs> and she says, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was the extent of the exchange. The second one was uh, years later when I did move to the city. Um, I worked in the same building as our entertainment magazine uh, here in town. And uh, <clears throat> I was able to score uh, advance screening tickets to the like journalist advance of Dancer in the Dark. So I was there, you know, the night before it debuted and saw it. And I, it was one of the few times that I'd seen a film where it was like that really kind of group experience, maybe rivaled only by maybe like The Matrix yeah. or like Borat or Jackass or something you know, where everyone is like really experiencing this film. Mm. But it was extreme grief. I mean, like people were hysterically sobbing leaving yeah. the theater. Like we just witnessed like something really heavy. So those are two like key moments that stand out for me. Everyone seems every super fan we get seems to have met their their idol. I haven't met my idol, and Matt's not met his idol. I don't know how you guys are doing it, but yeah, very well done. <laughs> and she's a tough one too because she's sort of famously, you know, shies away from the spotlight probably yeah. because of what happened uh, with the with the stalker in the '90s and stuff like that. Mm. I, I do think, like having been like a musician myself, like I've spent decades experiencing her music really actively and kind of analyzing it and stuff and listening to it a lot and. Like, I will admit, it is pretty divisive music. Like, there's a lot of dissonance. There's a lot of experimentation. You know, yeah. she draws upon influences that are really unusual. She does things that people just do not do. 
you know, um, like for example, when the Beatles got into Stockhausen, they made like Sergeant Pepper, you know, when she flows through that kind of chain of, uh, of influence, she ends up with stuff like Medulla, right? Mm. <laughs> Which is just like a, a wild or like utopia, you know, she's a 55 year old woman releasing, like her last record is instrumentally based on flutes and bird song. Right, <laughs> like it's yeah. not all that accessible, but it has that. The thing that I love about her is that it always has that through point, like like the greats do, of like Bowie or the Beatles, of like whatever disparate, unusual sort of underground or experimental influences they they they're influenced, but they're, you know, they're, they want to draw upon. The through point is their own point of view and their uh, ability to create amazing melodies and layer on their personality of sort of quote-unquote, maybe popness, right, on top of that influence, which makes it a little bit more accessible. But she still leans more, you know, to the experimental side than, say, Bowie or the Beatles or people like that. Oh, look, there's a, there's a simple and proven way for us to gauge uh, your level of fandom. I've formulated five questions about Bjork. Okay. I'll ask you these five questions. If you get five correct, you're going to be forever known as a Bjork superfan. If you get five wrong, you'll be ousted as a fraud. But I don't think that's going oh, to no. happen. So. <laughs> and there's no half points. There's no half points, no. Damn. Strictly. Okay. I went there once and I'll never go there again. So no half Fair. points. Um, are you ready? I am. Question one. Who co-produced Volta alongside Björk and Mark Bell? Oh no, have I, got, have I gone there? Question no, I mean, one, have I already gone No, you? it's just that it's tricky because he didn't really participate in the whole album, but Timbaland did it's some It's true, he didn't, that. yep. Yeah, it's true. He didn't participate in the whole album, but yes, he is. Uh, he is credited as a co-producer. There's actually four of them: um, Bjork, yeah. Mark Bell, Timberland, and Danger. But I think that Danger's is kind of a tag-along to Timberland. Even Timberland was a tag-along. She took a part of a beat, <laughs> and this has been part of her crusade lately, which I think is really valuable and important mm. for female music makers and especially female producers um, to sort of reclaim her uh, her work. Where, you know, she often, like, people will say, oh, she, on this record she worked with Mark Bell, and this album is all Graham Massey, and this person is all Arca. Mm. Not true, you know. I mean, she's, she does the vast amount of the heavy lifting on these records. Yes. And the others are sort of consultants. And as far as the Timbaland experience goes, she, they worked on one beat. It didn't work out. She took part of the beat and rearranged it and made a whole song on top of it. Mm -hmm. he, did, he contributed almost nothing, so... Yeah, there was certainly a lot of talk about Timbaland's contribution. Um, you know, a lot of interviews around that time, uh, around Volta's release, you know, heavily emphasized Timbaland's contribution, yeah. um, which is a bit of a shame, really, to, to kind of draw the attention away from, from the work that she put in. Yeah, um, I agree. You mentioned in your email that you uh, were less of a fan of the period from Volta to present. Well, Volta itself is is universally disliked by a lot of Bjork fans. Like it's it's mm. an extremely divisive album. It came, became a bit of a turning point. Um, for me personally, I have to sort of qualify that. I'm not as much of a fan of her work, Volta Forward. Um, I think because one of the things that I like most about her, like I said before, like it's the thing that I like most in in those sort of greats uh, in an artist is their ability to combine those unusual sort of underground sounds or, you know, stuff that they're taking influence from with something that's more accessible. She stopped doing that mm. uh, from that record forward. And I found that just her melodies sort of became very samey and her vocalizing became very samey. She became a lot more staccato. A lot of vocals that are kind of like this, you know what I mean? She does that way, way, way too much. Like there, there became fewer and fewer surprises right. uh, after Volta. 
and um, it's a lot of like the sounds that she's using are, are very similar. It's like beats and strings. It's sort of they a lot of them end up sounding to me a bit like homogenic light, like I've heard them before. Although they have really impressive concepts. I mean, like biophilia, like with its sort of like earth and nature science focus, and Volnikura being a breakup album. Like it's a great concept for her to do. I never thought she would do that. You know, Utopia being again like a record that's all flutes and birds. Like it's still they're amazing records to sort of experience and I'm on board for her creativity and I'm glad that she's still doing it. But like the songs themselves, I tend not to want to listen to as much. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I'll probably, yeah. uh, you know, if I go back and listen to, um, go back and listen to those albums now with, with, with those comments in mind, I might, uh, I might hear it differently. There's fewer surprises, I think is the overall theme than yeah. there are on, on the, you know, other records where they just go into all these different territories, even within one song. That doesn't happen as much anymore, and I'm, I, I kind of lament that a little bit, but I'm still, you know, here for it. <laughs> Interesting. Good start. One point. You panicked me for a little bit, but we got there. <laughs> so question two. Who photographed Bjork for the cover of Debut? Oh, I don't know. I oh, want to say Alexander McQueen because he did so many of them in that he did, period. Yeah, but he didn't do this one, unfortunately. I don't think he did that one, did he? Oh, no. Uh... No, I don't know who, who, who photographed that. Was it Nick Knight? It was, uh, no, no. He, yeah, no. he photographed her for uh, the one that Alexander McQueen dressed her for. Where's she wearing a kimono? Homogenic. Homogenic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, debut was photographed by Jean-Baptiste Mondino. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, that's such a shame. It's just stolen the super fandom from you. <laughs> it's, I think I find it such an iconic. Well, I mean, you you're obviously way more familiar with with her image, but but I think you know coming coming at, at Bjork in the last couple of weeks from a place where I, you know, I only really knew her from the stuff that was very public. Uh, mm. I find that debut album cover very iconic and and uh, an image of of Bjork that is very recognisable that I think most people would know. For sure. Um, I just think that, that that particular name hasn't traveled across the pond right. very much. I think that almost no one knows that name, yeah. so it hasn't really stuck with me. It's a name that I definitely have heard before, and it's probably in connection with that album, but mm. it, that, that particular, that he's not known here. Um, oh, shame. Also, I mean, it's not just that album. I think that that string of albums um, are sort of all like a string of kind of like a similar phase of like iconic album cover, like that yes. sort of forward-facing female character. Um, shot from like the torso up, you know. Yeah, she um, does, she really generally cool. has fantastic album covers, I think. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And really, like I, I love how willing she, unlike other female kind of stars, or you know, maybe not even females in the right word, but probably more so female, but who are less willing to look absurd or yeah. less willing to look um, less than glamorous. I mean, the cover of Utopia is bonkers. The cover of Volta is bonkers. The cover yes. of Volnikura, especially the you know bent over the rock cover is is crazy you know like for an artist like her mm. you I wouldn't see Beyonce doing any of that stuff <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what what about debut as an album so how did you react to that after having listened to Sugar Cubes well I I really experienced Sugar Cubes retroactively that was just sort of like a video that I remember experiencing viscerally as a child right um, but my first reaction I think I was really well primed to like or I was like the right place at the right time when when I heard debut because I just heard uh, a couple of electronic albums that I really liked that a family friend who was a big music fan who was old way older than me um, 
lent me. He was always like, oh, you know, you like music, like here's the new sounds kind of thing. And it would be mm -hmm. from all different genres, which I was really into. And he lent me Eon, uh, like early kind of rave music. It was the one with Spice on it. And at, believe it or not, LFO's frequencies. Um, right. And again, like I didn't totally like them, but I recognized like the high level of musicianship and like these were like future sounds kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and debut also was like such a great mix of organic like horns and traditional sounds um, with, you know, house music and techno. Um, uh, so it was like a really good amalgamation of and, and sort of melting pot of organic and traditional sounds and uh, different genres that were happening at the time with electronic music. So it was like an entry point to say like a 15 or 16, 14, 15, 16 year old who is not really sold on electronic music. It's, it's a good entry point. Yeah. And, and, and now of course I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah. And was that, was that immediate or is that something that built over the years? Immediate. Yeah. It was as immediate as it was when I saw that sugar cubes video and didn't understand it. I knew that there was something there that I wanted to hear more of. Yeah. I, uh, I really like the, the album debut. I think that, you know, listening to a lot, you know, having spoken to a lot of fans online over the last couple of weeks, it is rarely considered by, by most fans as their favorite album or, um, you know, even in their top two or three, but uh, I think it, I think it deserves a bit more love. I totally agree. I think that Bjork fans give it a uh, short distance. I think that uh, part, I, I do understand why though, because she went to such greater heights. Yes. You know, I mean, it, it is a bit like, I, I, I would hate to say basic because if it was the only one, it would be, you know, legendary. I mean, just even the fact that the cover is beige, you know what I mean? Like it sort of speaks to the, and it also is really dated, like that sort of early house acid jazz sound is extremely dated yeah. and doesn't really get referenced uh, too much these days. Um, so yeah, it kind of is really up its time. Whereas, and it, she hits such great heights of, uh, you know, putting it up against something like homogenic vespertine medulla, it just can't compete, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really humble, quiet sort of early step into, you know, her own music into into her become a solo artist so okay well sorry about question two yeah i wish uh, i knew it hopefully we can we can pull it back for question three although question three is i thought is my hard one so okay we'll see how this goes so which album has an ultimate art edition that includes 10 chromed tuning forks i remember this coming out uh i know utopia came out with the box of uh bird calls the two oh, right. i didn't know that <laughs> that's good yeah was that not Biophilia? It was Biophilia. Yes, great. Oh, also the brilliant. one with the app, that amazing app. Yeah, the app. I don't know much about I mean, I've read about the app, but obviously I haven't uh, haven't seen it. Um, but it, I think Biophilia came with a lot of stuff. It, mm -hmm. it was a, it, quite a strange release. Uh, the Ultimate Art Edition, though, was the absolute peak of it. It was $500, included 10 chromed tuning forks that were all tuned to the key of a song on the album. I remember this. The, the, the bird call uh, version of Utopia is, is a similarly priced. Right. These are all things, by the way, that I would have bought in my teenage and 20, in yeah. my 20s. Like I have an incredible amount of like a way too many uh, 12 inches and CD singles. And like I have everything. It's so what kind of silly expensive Bjork gear do you own? Oh, um, just like a lot of original. I don't have the first record from 1977. Mm -hmm. Um mostly because I don't really love buying records on the internet. Um, I mean, I have like a lot of books, uh, the, the live version books that came out, like the big tour edition of Post. Right. I have uh, obviously everything on vinyl and all the singles on vinyl uh, in multiple editions from multiple countries. A little full, like an envelope 
folder version of Post as well. Three or four different editions of Vespertine, including like a magazine version that where they're all in individual little sleeves. <laughs> That's so, it's so Bjork. <laughs> yeah, it is. She definitely, she was great at monetizing back then. She put out, so like it was, I, I'm sure I bought her a, a second home or something. Um, so you pulled it back. So we got two, two out of three. Great. We can still get you to four points. So question four. In the music video for which song does a man crawl out of a giant mouth under the bonnet of Bjork's truck? Army of Me. This is a Michelle Gondry video, am I right? Yeah. Uh, yes, it is, yeah. Yeah. So he's always going to have his own thing layered on top of it. <laughs> so I think the diamond and the, the, the heist and you know the gorilla is, is sort of a more of a Michelle Gondry thing. As far as her, um, and like the, these sort of explosions at the end and uh, her being the hero in the video, the theme is like she's not putting up with this male character's shit anymore. In fact, in the if you look at the original lyrics, which are in the post uh, tour, but like the big post book that, that was for sale back then, right. uh, it has uh, handwritten original lyrics to that song. And there's a line at the beginning scratched out uh, that says, you're just like Morrissey. Oh, right. Like, you're a mopey sad sack and I'm sick of it. Get on with it. Start putting in the work or you're going to meet an army of me. Right? Right. It's sort of the theme. So um, she's sort of like this powerful character who's like, you know, grinding through with this big truck and whatnot. But uh, it, fans always found it funny that at the end, they have a close-up of a clock that falls off the wall that says, you know, that, that the Brit, well, obviously, you know, you're from England, uh, the Smiths brand of clocks. Right, yeah. It has a big close-up where it says Smiths, and then it sort of crashes off the wall. I didn't, I haven't noticed that. Yeah, and fans were always like, oh, that's a reference to that, you know, lyric that was scratched out that wasn't actually used in the song. It was, What's it was a favorite music it. video for you? I mean, it has to be All Is Full of Love, maybe. It's like a really sterile kind of like tune, yes. uh, almost like automotive um, factory type, it seems like. Yes. I don't yeah. know to me. It's very techno, and they kind of like make love. It's, it's, it's an amazing video. Yeah. Um, Hunter is really, really raw, really basic. It's face forward, kind of like her album covers are. And she's bald. She's completely bald and uh, sort of walking towards the camera, although you can't really t you just get a sense of that. Yeah. And uh, sort of speaking very directly and forcefully to the camera. And this sort of silver animation keeps going over her that makes her like a sort of warrior polar bear. Yeah, it kind of gives <laughs> her a mane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant work. Okay, we, we pull it back. Okay. One more to go. Question five. And this is the this is the easy one. This is the, the giveaway point. I'll what year? This one now. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> what year did Bjork wear the famous swan dress to the Academy Awards? Ah, uh, two thousand and one. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I, I do. I always did sort of. You know, I, that's not. I was always so music focused in my fandom. That yeah. This, although, that is one of the things that I loved about her. That like the the dan the, the art the video and the, the album covers and the artistry and the photography and the, it was just the whole thing it was so much around just the music yes. I was so sort of very music focused and a lot of that sort of fashion stuff didn't really make its way into my brain as heavily yeah um, I mean she was wearing that dress um, as a callback to the to the album cover for, for Vespertine but she was there at the Academy Awards for Dancer in the Dark um, right. and I think you've already kind of alluded to the fact that you're, you're clearly a, a fan of her performance in Dancer in the Dark a fan is a strong, it's, it's a tough film. I mean, all his whole, Lars von Trier movies are not easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, in, by design. So 
Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Selma songs? I thought it was, I mean, I, I think it's good. It's not one of her, it, it's not a record that I return to very frequently. Right. It is a soundtrack to a film, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's not, it's not her vision completely, right? It's someone else's vision that she's putting music and, and words to. Yes. So anything that's less than her vision is going to be probably less, uh, come out you know, less impressive to me. So maybe that's why I don't listen to it as often. One time I played that scene uh, where she's hearing music in the factory. Like she's, you know, the song is about like, oh, you're hearing crash, bang, boom with all mm -hmm. the like metal playing and stuff. But I hear music in the machines. Yeah. I once played that for someone who didn't understand why I liked industrial music. And it, and it all made sense. And it all made sense. I was like, this is what you hear, but this is what I hear. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, four out of five, Paul. It's pretty good. I'm proud of myself. It's, it's not super fan level, unfortunately, but you're a, you're a big fan. You're a mega fan. How did I do for I questions? I have to brush up on my fashion. <laughs> no, your fashion was all right. You did. You got that one right. The only the only place we went wrong was uh, photographers. You have to brush up on your. Oh, on sorry, your, photographers. Yes, yes, yes. Your right. photographers. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, you, you did your research. You know, you know your stuff. There was a sort of famous um, message board. Uh, survey or questionnaire that was like are you obsessed with bjork i think it was called mm -hmm. put up on the early like really early internet uh on like alt.bjork.net right um that people used to talk about and it actually made all its way into uh the bjork photo book that was oh, like right. an official piece of merchandise because it had like essays and stuff through it if i remember correctly right um she's released a few of books like this um like the archives book that came from the moma retrospective and the Vespertine live tour had a, had a book. Anyway, she's done some books. That questionnaire uh, ended up in one of those books, and I thought that maybe you would have drawn from that. <laughs> no, I know. Just this is all original has... stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good. Good you. Thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed it, and um, it's been a pleasure. Take care. So there you go. Thanks, Paul. Four out of five. Yeah, he definitely knows his stuff, though. He's yeah, super fan, he knows I think. His stuff. Yeah, and he's clearly very passionate. While I was listening to that, I was looking up the Utopia Bird Call box. Oh right, um, yeah. I had no, I had no idea about that because yeah, Utopia's got a lot of bird song throughout, which is partly why I struggled listening to it. But mm. maybe I need to give it a go again. But uh, it's it's quite pretty. It's like a little, it's like a little box with all these strange little wooden flutes and instruments. And it's, it says what all the birds are meant to be, like a pheasant, goldfinch, robin, great tip. Yeah, it's it's very pretty, actually. And you know, how, you much, get this even, how much are they flogging that for? Uh, £501. <laughs> <laughs> or three interest-free payments of £167. <laughs> oh, crikey. But you'd, I would get this for someone who's really into birds. Or really into birds. I think my dad would really like, would really really? like this. <laughs> yeah. But for £501, you're not playing that. You're putting it on the shelf where no child can reach it and looking at it every now and then. Well, know. yeah, I guess so. I'd play you... with them much more than um, than tuning forks. That's true, yeah. That's <laughs> true, yeah. I'd love to meet someone who's got who's got the tuning forks or got the bird's bird box. Yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul didn't say he's got that, did he? No, he hasn't got it. He just knew about it. I guess you could stick all the tuning forks together and make like a weird instrument where you can play lots of notes. You know, hit them with hammers or something. Totally. And she'd really appreciate that, your creativity and thinking exactly. outside the box. And yeah, he's met her as well. That's cool. And no, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? All our super fans have met, have met their idols. I would have imagined being starstruck mm. meeting her. 
because yeah. she's got that presence about her. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely. So. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool that that so many people have managed to to meet their their idols. Yeah, have you met my vitriol? Uh, I haven't. No, but it's not impossible. I guess I could I could meet them. They're still alive, and they still they still. I mean, for a band that is that doesn't release material ever, they had one album back in two thousand, uh, which was an absolute masterpiece, greatest album ever made, and then. For the following 16 years, they didn't really do a great deal. And then they released a second album 16 years later via Kickstarter. So ah. it's, you know, it's not, that wasn't publicly available to everyone at that time. And, and now they haven't, still haven't released a third album. So for, for a band that's only done that in, in 20, what, 22 years, they uh, are still an active band. They do still tour. It's crazy. I don't, yeah. So there is a chance I, I'll get to see them and, and maybe meet them one day. Maybe they release an album every sixteen years. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's their gimmick. Yeah, maybe. maybe they're waiting for a particular constellation to align. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work yes. for the last album though, because the last album did not compare to um to Fine Lines. Nothing could though. Nothing could. You've listened to it, haven't you? And you weren't blown away by it, unfortunately. But it takes perseverance. <laughs> perseverance, yeah. It's but not my like, kind of thing. Like but Bjork as well. Like there's there's a lot of Bjork albums that you, the first the first listen, you're not gonna unless you persevere with it, you're not necessarily gonna get it first time. Yeah, I I couldn't get into Vulnicura first mm-hmm. time, and then and now I think it's absolutely gorgeous. I could listen to it all the time. I think that that debut and post are necessary for for listeners of her music to help ease them into her music and it's kind of debut and post work as kind of like a a, a palate cleanser and a, a, a starter <laughs> yes as well to, to kind of help you if, you if you're struggling with with um you know vespertine go back to debut listen to that again and then go back to vespertine and, and you, you might get it a bit better like it's it works in that way for me that, that makes sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm all, i think i'm bjorked out you're gonna start laying <laughs> eggs <laughs> yeah so we've got a couple of weeks off crazy research now because we're gonna in two weeks time we'll have a halloween interlude we're gonna listen to some spooky music and some spooky music tales uh, i'm really looking forward to that actually and yeah if there's anyone out there who's got any stories music related that could be used in a halloween special then please let us know yeah any ghosts or monsters or weird things and uh hopefully it's spookier than the the video that you sent me which was a video of Post Malone touching a haunted urn and somehow the Sun had managed to write an entire article about this and about oh. how a string of uh, bad events that had happened to him were because he was cursed by a haunted urn that he touched. I thought he, he bought it on eBay. And I think his friend, it was a friend of his, bought it and it oh. was at their house, I think. Well, we okay. clearly, we were clearly drawn in, weren't we? Both of us read the entire article. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, well, no. I just, I heard about this elsewhere. I, I heard that Post Malone had bought a uh, a Duduk box, I think it's called. Mm, um, that rings a bell. That they're known to be cursed objects, and he had a lot of terrible mishaps happen to yeah. him. I hope the story is true, not just not because I don't like Post Malone, but because it's a cool story. I'm sure there's other stories of uh, of apparent curses on people. Um, and then we've got a couple of episodes lined up. We've got um, a super fan has got in touch with us about a band. That'll be for episode nine, I think. So that's really fun. A band I've never heard of and I don't think you've ever heard of. No. Um, yeah. Get in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, we're very active on Twitter. You can contact us. Uh, Superfancast1 is our Twitter handle, but you'll find us with Superfancast. Facebook and find us with Superfancast and we're doing a, a Friday review now. We did our first album review last Friday for the new She Drew the Gun album. 
So every Friday I'll post an album review for something. I'll try try to make it a little less mainstream because obviously everyone's seen a hundred thousand reviews of uh, Kanye West's Donda. We don't need that anymore. I need something <laughs> a bit different. So um, controversial. Yeah. So go go follow us on Facebook. Email us on superfancast@outlook.com. That's about it, isn't it? Anything else? I think so. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for joining us. We'll look forward to you joining us again in a couple of weeks for our Halloween interlude. Stay safe. Keep rocking. See you next time. Bye bye. Thank you.